0: The world-famous Conservation Canine Camp will next be running in southeast Queensland, Australia, from the 21st to the 25th of August. Join us with your dog to start your journey into conservation detection. Visit padfoot.com.au to book your place today. <laughs> Welcome to the Conservation Canine Podcast, the show that celebrates the dog teams protecting the natural world. I'm James Davis, and in this episode, I'm joined by Rita Santos from Dogs for Nature. We talk about surveying for grasshoppers in France, Iberian wolves in Spain, and tigers in Malaysia, as well as Rita's relationship with her rescue dog, Hera. santos welcome to the conservation canine podcast
1: hi uh my name is and i'm a conservation detection dog handler for well i'm independent but i also work for rogue detection teams
0: nice okay so how did you uh, get involved in conservation detection
1: Oof, uh that was back uh, Probably ten years ago, I st- so I since I was young, I worked in I volunteered at shelters at dog shelters, and I was volunteer at the shelter when these folks, rogue detection teams, uh, were in Portugal choosing a dog for a wolf project that was happening, uh, and they chose the dog I was trying to help at the shelter. So his name was Zeus, and he got picked by. The lead coordinator of rogue detection teams for the work, and he invited me along to just facilitate the project. The sorry, the um, kind of the the linguistics of because the dog was in Portuguese to change him for English and to help vo- at the project with the basic stuff. And yeah, I guess they they liked my work because they invited me to come to the US and train as a detesh- detection dog handler. In this, count,
0: in this case, Pounder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, 10 years, you've been doing this quite a long time then. So, so, let's talk about some of the projects you've been involved in. You've got quite a resume. I mean, endangered grasshoppers, sea turtle nests, Siberian wolves, tigers in Malaysia. It's, it's quite a resume. Let's start working through some of them. So, I'll i think, start where you want uh, to start.
1: Sure. I guess I'll start with the beginning. Uh, I yeah. started with wolf. Uh, so, I... I did three years of training just dedicated to travel and kind of get into this work and learn all the trades and the skills I needed. And I got back to Portugal. I finished my high school at the time. And then I got paired up with Zeus and, and started at Wolf uh, Detection Scats in Portugal. And that project was a little bit more than just uh, finding the scats. We're also about... Uh, present and absence through the Portuguese uh, territory and gene flow and about uh, getting the hunters and the shepherds together and kind of co- in a good set of mind to coexist with the wolf. So yeah, that kind of triggered the the tiny passion. I, I started to have at the beginning to just change mindsets with the dogs in order to, um, uh, make people believe that we can all coexist. So yeah, wolf was my project, was my main project for years. And then I moved on to sea turtle nests. I went to Greece, I did uh, badgers. So locating and monitoring dens, also in Portugal. I did also the little lizard cats in France. With Tour du Vallar and saint Paca. And then with those guys, I did also the Plain Crow Grasshopper, which is probably my most famous project. Although we, I like to keep it under the radar because I'm not a person that communicates a lot. Uh, and yeah, we did Tigers in Malaysia. We did Brown Bears in the Pyrenees of Spain and France. Uh, we did Tetrax, so Little bustard the nests too in France uh I'm probably forgetting some but it's a long list she's trained on at least 17 targets now
0: yeah and is that with Hera or was that yeah that's
1: no that's Hera so Zeus unfortunately I lost him to cancer in 2017 and it's always hard isn't it oh yeah probably the hardest thing I had to come over my my life Hmm. um
0: yeah. <laughs> so 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 you've worked on some pretty diverse and interesting type type projects. Um let's talk a little bit more about some of the, the details on those things. So let's let's start with the wolves. I mean wolves, I mean, even though you're looking for scat, you know, you're yeah, you're still looking in areas where there are wolves or certainly could be wolves. And there's also that human element that you alluded to as well of you know, the other local kind of you know uh, livestock owners and hunters and so on, obviously, you know, not wanting the wolves in those areas. So, I mean, can you describe that project in more detail? I mean, how were you going about the search? I mean, looking for scat is one thing. How were you protecting your dog, you know, in those areas or making sure they were safe and how were you, yeah, and I mean, safe from the wolves and also, safe from, I presume, what the landholders are doing in terms of shooting, baiting, poisoning you know, the wolves?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> uh, so let me see if I can get it all. Uh, so, yeah, the presence and absence. So, yeah, we did uh, go to hotspots just to monitoring and to get some data on the packs that the wolf packs that we already knew. So just to kind of get a good database. Uh, But we were also looking in places where the wolf hasn't been uh, seen. There's no sites for since the nineties. So we were able to locate a few scats. And so that project was focusing on, there's a, a major river called Douro in Portugal. And we were trying to see if the the wolves from north of Douro could, uh, they would uh, breed with the wolves down from that, that river. And what we understood was that they weren't. So they were just breeding with the one, the, the wolves south of Douro, they were breeding with the wolves in uh, Spain. But yeah, uh, I've been keeping track on that. And apparently they are traveling south now. But yeah. Uh so keeping my dog safe, oof, that that is just skills I think that handlers have to acquire along their training. I remember my probably my major um concern was uh garden and livestock dogs. So in Portugal they use them and there's actually projects giving them away to the shepherds mm-hmm. to protect the flocks from the wolves. So we have to respect that, of course, but we also have to keep our dogs safe. Uh, so, yeah, you. There are situations. I remember the most dangerous situation I was with. I was in was a do- uh, I have five garden dogs it's called Serra da Estrela which is a Portuguese breed uh I have five just coming at us and you just have to know how to deal with the situation you have to identify the leader you have to identify the aggressive one you have to just take your opportunity and say no at the right moment and they'll if you're good enough and you're certain of that you're protecting your dog they'll they'll just stop and kind of go around you and respect your space if if you know how to don't give their back and yeah, just don't move, just are not afraid of them in order mm-hmm. to, to protect your dog. And yeah, Eric trusts me and I trust her. So she warns me when something is wrong and I'll protect her when, um, something I can uh, do for her. So it's kind of a, well, it's a team of course. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, so yeah, that was with the dogs with the poison. I just trust Era, and she, she, we do a lot of training. So carcasses, I just make sure that her alert is a little bit different from the sit and stay. She, so I did the same alert I worked on for the turtle nests. I asked her to smell, but she does. It, so she backs up and lays mm-hmm. down and wait away from the target just to make sure that she doesn't touch anything. And there's absolutely no chance that she can get any kind of, I don't know, some kind of molecular odor that can poison her um so yeah we worked a little bit on that and she yeah she she gives me a pretty good alert so I'll just trust her and every time there's a carcass she stays back and she doesn't go and try to lick it or eat it or anything so um and yeah and then the most interesting work for me personally in wolf was um the meetings we had with the shepherds and the hunters so the shepherds in the beginning, they were known for putting out poison and for killing the the wolves, which is uh, so wolf is the only protected species uh, national wide in Portugal. And they um, once they got to see zoos at the time and then ERA, uh, they started to understand that we were there to help them. And so if we would go to the predated sites where they lost their flo- their flock or a few sheep or a few goats, you name it. Um, they would actually start to call us directly to go there and prove that there was wolf scats and wolf signs in order to get paid by the government. So with that, we were able to kind of turn things a little bit around. And instead of being a bad presence we started to be welcomed into the society and we got very good data from them because they are the ones that spend their lives in the field and they get to see the wolves, they get to see their lifestyle. So um, yeah, that for me, just seeing that mindset and just doing tiny little demos, most of those folks, they do live in the countryside, but they love animals and they, they love their dogs. So just getting to see a dog that was from so Eda doesn't look like anything or zeus they're just rescue dogs and just getting to see them with their little vests and goggles and boots and just getting to work they actually started to ask for us and they wanted to be part of the the project so yeah that that was a very big project that ended up being actually very positive
0: yeah so you alluded to some benefit um to the to the sheep herders and all the uh, to the to the livestock owners, there. So, so how does that work? Because, I mean, all you're doing is proving presence absence, right? So, so what what benefit is there to them in Portugal of you doing that?
1: So, if a carcass, let's say a wolf kills, uh, right? A little bit back, let's say that a, a shepherd goes to the field and he finds three dead sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to be uh compensated by those three dead sheep he has to prove that the wolf killed them yeah okay and 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 if that happens they get money from the state for each
0: okay So, so 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 the wolf's protected species and the 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 other side to that is that if the wolf you know causes any damage to livestock or whatever then then the government recompenses the, the exactly yeah. yeah that's okay
1: that's one of the yeah
0: <laughs> yeah cool okay so that's interesting about wolves you mentioned before the the grasshoppers and yeah, you, know, you you said you don't talk about them enough um so let's remedy that tell me all about the grasshoppers
1: sure uh i'm actually going back this uh, in the end of april uh, the so the pandemic hit us hard to all so we had to stop that for two years but so the grasshoppers is interesting because it's a moving target, although they don't really go far. So they're quite fat for grasshoppers and quite clumsy. So they don't really jump. So they don't fly and they don't jump very fast or far. So they they do keep around, but it's it's a very hard terrain. It's just Uh, rocks all over so these just boulders and it's high grass it's very uh, the humidity is low the wind is high and the um, the weather is hot and yeah to be able to locate them precisely it's an incredible awesome challenge for me and for Era. She, she, she picks up on a lot of things during the, she picked up on a lot of things during the years. So we started with a normal procedure, just having the grasshoppers in a very safe box, uh, doing box work. The dog, the dog picked up on that very well. Okay. This is the odor. The hard part was when we let the grasshopper loose and she learned, she had to learn that she would have to keep up with the grasshopper and not just wear to pinpoint where he just hopped away so the because they do live uh, behind the ascent that stays on the ground when they hop and because there's no trail it's they're not walking through the through the field uh the the trail just disappears and it's it's funny to see how Eda just started to pick up on that and Sometimes she uses her sight too. So she, if she sees something jumping, she goes and check and checks that to see if it's the target she wants. Um, yeah, and she she did great just picking up on the problem that she needed to solve, which is for me it's just <laughs> magic.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. So that, that that's a really interesting project, as you say, from a from a technical perspective on how you might t- you know teach your dog. To yeah, you know, to try and I mean, it's, it's not static like a scat. It's not, as you say, moving through an area like a live animal would normally move. It's kind of, you know, leaping all around the place. Um, so, so is that stuff you anticipated before you started training, and is that what you actually did? You did you think about your training protocols and methods in terms of setting her up for that, or was that? Or did you just start as not as you normally do and then just kind of adapt as you go on?
1: Yeah, I'm very I'm gonna be very honest with you. I didn't think it through. I was like, okay, it was a pilot, so everybody was just kind of seeing what that would go and giving the opportunity to the dogs to learn the process. We knew that the dog, of course, everybody knows that the dogs can pick up on the scent very fast and be trained on the target extremely fast, but we didn't exactly know how they would react to all of that. New experience, so uh, we just went along with what what was happening, and we did come up with some different um, methods for each of the dogs. So when this project started, um, Zeus and Era did it, uh, both dogs, and we yeah, Era was a little bit more excited than Zeus. Wo- Zeus was a little bit more methodical. Henny specifies a lot. And Eda is more of a, she kind of generalizes a lot because she had to do it for wolf, like Iberian wolf, uh, Italian wolf, gray wolf, whatever. So she picks up on very different uh, smells and she kind of asks, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And um, yeah, so with Eda, the main difficulty was to calm her down enough to kind of smell the area very um truly sorry
0: uh yeah thoroughly yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) Thoroughly. perfect thank you (laughs) sorry i'm portuguese (laughs) 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 um so yeah with that uh, the the yeah uh she was a little bit more excited so just make sure she wouldn't trample on them she wouldn't put her nose and press against them because they are very fragile Although they can uh, adapt to their environment a lot, their the only predation they have is um, crows and some kind, some different kinds of um, birds. So they are quite fragile. Like we can pick them up easily, but we have to manage them, m- manipulate them in a in a very um, uh, precise way. And there's protocols for all of that because they are endangered. So yeah. Um, it was, was definitely go learning with the process as we were going.
0: So is there a muzzled in that um, situation? Because, I mean, I'm just thinking if, if I took my dog on a project like that and they found the odour and they got up to it and they put their nose right up to it and the thing leapt, I'd be fairly sure some instinctive kind of prey drive would kick in and they'd just chomp it in midair, you know, just
1: Yeah, great, great question. Uh, In Eri's particular case, I don't have to just because although she has the ball drive, she is afraid of pretty much all the animals. (laughs) She doesn't have that uh, will to go after animals. She looks at them. She looks at me and asks, like, what are we supposed to do in this situation? Um, So I am extremely lucky with that. Lucky with that. So she doesn't really go for them. We have actually photos of the grasshoppers hopping on her head because, uh, yeah, she just kind of lays down and waits for the ball. And we make sure that the ball is away from the grasshopper just to make sure. Sometimes I just put my hands protecting the grasshopper and she gets the ball just to make sure that the excitement around the play doesn't uh, affect the individuals and and doesn't kill them or, yeah. Feed them the leg off or something. <laughs>
0: cool. Um, awesome project. You know, technically, yeah. you know, really <laughs> challenging. Um, another one that I imagine was quite different for you was the tigers in Malaysia. So, you know, again, a different landscape, different mm-hmm. culture, different <laughs> animal, big toothy thing, you know, you gotta deal with. So so how did that work out?
1: Uh, yeah, all the challenges that came with that project, uh, and I imagine all the professionals and the good the, the detection hand, the conservation detection handlers out here know what I'm talking about. The, the The problems came with the humans. the The dog was fine. She took a couple of days to to get used to the environment, to the heat and humidity. So in Celsius, it's around forty degrees, um, and yeah, the humidity is nineties, a hundred sometimes. It's just pouring rain all the time. Um, so the dog did fine as long as we made sure that she got her rest. Uh, the problem was, yeah, I was a white girl in the in Asian current tree, and I was I do look a little bit younger than I'm supposed to for some projects. So they they doubt a a lot about what I am capable of, and they. So in in Malaysia they are mostly um, Muslims. So in their culture they consider the dogs to be a dirty animal. So they don't touch the dogs. They don't like to be around them. They they are not a fan of the species. So yeah, I got into the jungle with nine nine rangers. So nine men. And our coordinator, uh, which was also uh, a female, she was a lady from England. And she, yeah, we, we found out that most of our time was dedicated to convince people that we were able to do the job and not finding stats or finding the target itself. Hmm. Um, that we were able to camp outside. The dog was fine sleeping in a hammock. We were fine building wherever we needed the fire places, the camps, uh, staying away from dangerous animals, uh, the elephants were a very big concern, but yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, era is not go, she doesn't chase wildlife at all. So she just warns me like there's something there. And I just asked her to come close to me. And we also had rangers going ahead and kind of checking if everything was, um, safe. So yeah, that project was very, I, I felt like I grew a lot as a handler, and I felt like we changed a lot of minds. So by the end of the project, all the rangers wanted to buy etta for the national park, and they were actually swimming with her and playing with her, which for me was better than the scats we found. I know that it's gold, I know that it's beta, but seeing people that are not supposed to touch dogs and not supposed to like them, just seeing them changing their mind and being able to learn that they're not what society makes them. It it was wonderful. No,
0: I think that's great. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. It's getting the result for the job, you know, is one thing. So you find the scats, you know, I mean, it's what we do. You know, (laughs) that's the job. Um, I and I suspect you know like you, I get more excited by the interaction of my dog with the particular project and and that sort of thing. yeah you know, for finding the thing is like yeah cool, we found the thing you know, but I'm more interested in you know how how much fun is my dog having, how much input do I have to have into the dog's day you know i mean for me less is more i mean i i always kind of joke that you know i always train my dog so i could basically sit back in an air-conditioned ute and they could do all the work you know and it's just yeah (laughs) yeah because i I, I want them to just do it because they enjoy it and they don't need me to motivate and constantly be encouraging them and pushing them and directing them and, and all of that sort of stuff so i know exactly what you mean because we're in such a young industry that that hearts and minds stuff, particularly in an area, you know, like, you know, Malaysia or Southeast Asia or, or anywhere like that, um, that has a lot of conservation challenges, you know, but also has a lot of cultural um, challenges yeah. to overcome as well. You know, uh, arguably to me, what Hera's done then, there is is more valuable than finding the scat.
1: Thank you. I I agree with you hundred percent. I yeah, uh, having the opportunity to just show people that these dogs can do what they do and they are not forced to do it. They do it because they love it. It's it's unique. I I don't have words to describe it.
0: So listening to these projects, I mean, I'm I'm developing a fondness for Hera already, and I've never <laughs> met her. And I've never seen her, um, you know, but I'm thinking, oh, this dog is cool. So, so so tell me more about her. Tell me, you know, how you train her. How do you motivate her? How do you, what style is she? What personality is she? Just, Just tell me all about her.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll be happy to. Um, so Eda began her life as a stray. She's a mutt and she st- started her life in, as in, as puppy in the streets of Lisbon. And uh, she got rescued by a shelter uh, when she was still a baby. So she, they got her brothers and sisters and her mother. To the shelter, everybody got adopted except, well, Etta got adopted when she was six months old, but she was returned to the shelter due to destructive and aggressive behavior. And she, despite all the efforts, the lady at the shelter, Tanya, she's a wonderful person, but she knew what she had in hand. Like she knew she couldn't control her. She started to develop a lot of aggressive issues and she eventually she had her hands full with other dogs so she eventually started to put her away and she didn't get to walk she didn't get to really solve that energy yeah so that just became a, a big storm uh, and I got to know uh, about Eric through a friend she emailed me saying that there was this dog that was considered too aggressive to be adopted but she could do the job so I contacted the the Tanya, the lady at the shelter, and she we got to talk, and she met Zeus, and we I came I come from a shelter background myself, so we kind of got to be friends and talk about it. We test tested areas, Era. She got around 15 days of adaptation, like just coming along with me and Zeus on work, and to see how she would do. She if she wanted to do this, she doesn't. If she didn't. So, yeah. And of course, she was a bomb to work. She couldn't care less about what was happening and she just wanted to work. And sometimes she even drops her ball and continues to work. I was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm still collecting this. So, uh, yeah, she's just a bullet to work and she she's she's amazing. Uh, she doesn't look like anything. Everybody laughs about her ears. So she has Dumbo ears and I would say she has some kind of shepherd behavior just because of guarding like she she I train her on carjacking, but that's just personal because I'm a young person, a young lady just traveling everywhere. So uh, and my car is not that good. So she's my alarm. I sleep in my car and I feel protected. So she does look a little bit scary sometimes. So I would say she has some kind of shepherd behavior in her uh, regarding uh, garden and possessive behavior. But yeah, she, but at the same time, she also does schools and she works as an ambassador for kids and kennels. And it's, yeah, she, it's very funny to see kids reactions when I still volunteer at some shelters and we put error inside of a kennel, and the kids and the schools, they get to see her inside of the kennel, and then we pull her out. We put all the fancy gear on, and we show them wolf poop, and they're like, "But, but, but, this is a dog that it's not supposed. He's just supposed to bark and supposed to be a shelter dog." Oh, that's
0: awesome! <laughs> <laughs> just for just for everyone who's uh, who's listening, didn't see what I just did. I um, <laughs> oh. the Rogue Team kindly sent me a desk calendar um for Christmas, and uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking that sounds familiar. And I was looking <laughs> through the pages of the calendar and I just found the, uh, the, 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 photograph of, of Hera on there. So I just. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm me. just a, so.
0: a very proud mom. <laughs> yeah. No, no, she's awesome. I'm, I'm looking at i like, am I'm, I'm now admiring her while we talk. So if, I'm not, so if I stop looking at you and start just gazing, nah,
1: at her, perfect. I'm, just, I'm just
0: staring at your dog. Um, yeah, but no, no, perfect. No, no, very, very cool looking dog. And I, I love everything that you've just kind of said about her because so often those those behaviors you know that you see when they're young and so on come from different places and if you can it's an energy thing in in my opinion so it comes from it comes it comes from misused or misplaced energy and if you can redirect that energy you know into a more positive way it doesn't mean you lose the because often those behaviors have a value behind them, as you're saying with the with the guarding and that kind. Of, like, there is a value. It's just they just need to know when to deploy it, and not through a, a position of being kind of overstimulated and stressed. You know, they need to be cool. You know.
1: Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so, so something that's awesome, and also, I mean, the, the way you're describing because because I've got a you know a dog that's not keen on. You know, he, he's an awesome working dog, not keen on other people, not keen on other dogs, you know, doesn't like that sort of thing. Yeah, all.
1: and you just have to respect that. Like, if yeah. they're not social people, that's no, up no, to no. them. No, like-
0: no, exactly. But he's one that also has got, even though I train him on the ball and he likes his ball in training, when, once he's actually out working, he doesn't give a shit about the ball. He, doesn't <laughs> want to keep, he just wants to keep working, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's
1: Sarah with the grasshoppers. was like, nah, I, I'll just find another one. They're fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really, I mean, yeah, she, she's my new pinup. I'm going to keep her on my wall now. Um, so, so so, you were talking as well about um, equipment as well. You mentioned briefly earlier, and there's a thousand questions I could ask you, but we don't really have the time. So hopefully we'll have another opportunity in the future because I think there's a lot, you know, with your experience, you can kind of explain or help help people with Um in terms of the gear you use with her in the field though so you mentioned vest goggles boots you know do you does she wear them all the time only on certain projects how do you work that
1: yeah so um uh, gear yeah i'll i'll listen to her i yeah. she tells me what she needs uh if cool. i feel like she, if i see that she's getting uncomfortable walking i'll look at her paws if they're while we stop if we, if it's just a kind of terrain that she doesn't feel comfortable I'd put her boots on and see if she she's going well and yeah if it goggles yeah uh, just she got used to them due to the snow so we are Portuguese we don't have a lot of that <laughs> so she uh, she closes her eyes a lot like for people to get photos of her it's very difficult because she she just looks like a Portuguese in the sun She she just closes her eyes because she can't deal with the reflection on the sun reflection on the snow light mm-hmm. um yeah vests of course for um safety so people and hunters can know that she's there we also lo- uh, use a belt like a tiny yeah. belt uh, so I normally don't lose sight of her it's very rare but it is more comfortable to know that the belt is there the belt is there and also to keep Um, wildlife away so they get to know that she's there because of the sound and they just uh, give way Um, and yeah you get a little bit lazy just try you get used to listening to the belt so you you kind of learn to (laughs) just work with that Um, so I use the gear but I don't use the gear so what I'm trying to say is I just communicate with her in a way that she tells me what she needs if for example in malaysia we we i tried to use the the gear but i ended up taking everything off because her armpits were getting raw from the humidity hitting and the skin Mm -hmm. was getting very very it was almost a a wound so i just took everything off and she worked off with anything we put the gps on but that was it um
0: i think that's a great answer um i really i really like that answer because again i think there's a lot of people i mean that's what comes with experience right there's a lot of people in this industry that may be starting out and they think okay i must for very good reasons that they you know very very good well-considered reasons they think i must have boots on my dog i must have a jacket on my dog i must have goggles on my dog i must have this that and the other and they always sort of say to me you know do you agree and i kind of go well it depends if the dog, yeah. If it's appropriate for that situation, if it's aiding the dog in some way, exactly. then yes. If it isn't aiding the dog in some way, then no. And yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's that depending answer that nobody likes, but it's true. Well, <laughs> I, it's, it's depends on the project, depends on the situation. I, Yeah, I I definitely train her on as much things as I can, like with the goggles, the boots. You do have to take the time off to train and to make sure that they get used to the gear. And that's just playing around with the ball and the goggles on or the boots or on the vest, wherever you need. Um, But well, in Ares case, it's just easy. We just put the gear on and go for a horse ride and Mm -hmm. everything is fine. So, um, we, yeah, we take the time to adapt to the gear. So we don't put the gear on, uh, in the project itself. Like I make yeah. sure that we train it on. Yeah. Before, but yeah, she tells it, she knows the gear. So she tells you what tells me what she needs.
0: Awesome. So you just mentioned something there that made, made me kind of take interest as well. So you, you take her out for a horse ride. So, so my my dream is being able to work my dogs from horseback. You know, that is my goal. I want to be able to get around, you know, the Australian landscape, you know, doing whatever oh, I'm yeah. detecting. And <laughs> I want to be able to sit on top of my horse while I'm doing it and just cruise around. And, you know, and, and, and so that's the goal. So have you had the opportunity to do that in an operational sense?
1: Don't hate me, but yes.
0: Oh, <laughs> <asshole>. <laughs> no. all right, now, Now you can tell me all about that. And everyone who's bored, you know, can just to die uh, for a bit and, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those uh, one of those talks with the coordinators. We were doing wolf in Italy and wolf is pretty easy. We need to cover a lot of grounds. Uh, easy uh, in a horse state of mind. So it's easy for the horse to keep up with the work. We don't go super steep. We don't go super rocky. So it's just normal walk for for a horse. So uh, yeah in Italy we got to do that and we were talking about doing that for the um, sea turtle nests on the beach uh, in south of France but the projects just logistics and the project didn't happen again but yeah they were talking about bringing out the horses for that too but it's it's just makes sense when you're covering so much ground and your your dog can walk way more than you can the horse keeps up well the dog can keep up with the horse very well and it's just a beautiful teamwork that you can put all your efforts in. they're all non-invasive they're all super conser- uh, conservation friendly so yeah in some situations uh, it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah and so, I, yeah. I agree i mean I, I was very i was tempted last year i was i was doing a project for a client here and it was um it, it was basically fox detection around, but sea, but sea turtle, oh. yeah, protection. So there, so we're looking for the in, for the, looking for the predators, basically, of the, yeah. of the turtle nests. And a lot of the areas we needed to access were very hard. Like you could only access them at low tide with a vehicle, or you're, tr- you're you're trekking in a long way to go and you know, yeah, those areas. And I kind of jokingly mentioned my horse, and he, he's only young. I, I can't ride him. Yeah, he's too young still. Oh. And um, <laughs> okay. and they went, yeah, okay. And I was like, "Oh shit, he's too young. Oh damn it!" You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just waiting till he's I'll a bit just, older, and then then we're off. And then then I'll be there with you. So
1: <laughs> yeah, well, pl- please, if you ever go to Europe, just feel free to well bring your yeah. ho- bring your dogs, and we have yeah, horses. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Feel free yeah. to come and ride.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Awesome. All right, better move on from that because otherwise, I'll just get stuck on that conversation. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> So, so let's talk about the conservation detection landscape in Europe. So so, so so, we talk to a lot of people, you know, obviously in the UK and, and Australia and you know, North America and so on. So we kind of know how things work in those areas pretty well. But in Europe, I don't know so much. So, so what's it like, you know, to work in Europe? Are there lots of projects? Is it easy to find projects? Are there lots of people doing the work? You know, yeah. Go.
1: Yeah, uh, so landscape-wise, it's you have everything. Um, just Portugal itself, you drive two hours and you f- go from the beach to the highest peak. So um, you can have everything from the su- southern heat waves that you cannot even breathe the air. Uh, or you can go up and you, there's so much wind or so much highlands that you cannot walk outside. Uh, but we do have uh, 240 days of sun so that's kind of nice and yeah and then Europe in general y- I, I'm I'm bad to talk about it because I love it I just, you can have everything you can have the forest the northern forests the in Czech Republic there's just oof, there's just kilometers and kilometers of great landscapes that you can walk for hours and not see a soul just animals and just yeah, keep away from society. Um projects-wise it is extremely tough. So as I mentioned before, I'm not a very great communicator and I do dedicate my attention to getting more experience instead of trying to run anything. So I think that's why I have and people mentioned that I have so much experience is because I, in my mind, I still, I'm still learning. So in Europe, uh, because we don't have a major group that knows what they're doing and we just have people uh, training puppies and selling them to other people and then they kind of don't work out because the team is not right or the dog's not working, which in everybody that knows me knows that it's never the dog's fault called for since the beginning since i've started to find projects because people are still in the phase of does this work do dogs are are they gonna chase and kill wildlife are they gonna be a pain in the ass to to go through logistics are they gonna be more danger Uh, the danger to be out or are they a good thing? Um, So people don't know yet the... um, And when I say people, I say uh, scientists and PhD students that this is still brand new. Like, what do you do for a living? Ah, I just chase poop with my dog. And they're like, what? What is that? And so, yeah, there is definitely... Now with the pandemic, uh, there was definitely a lot coming out there's a lot of tiny groups coming out and they're they're trying to do to do good but everybody's very spread through the through europe there's not this uh cooperate, co- cooperation 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 that, yeah. yeah thank you uh, that you can see between you guys in australia that are doing a great job uh yeah with louise and rogue and working dogs you, you have so many groups in contact and i see that that will take a little bit of time to happen in europe just because everybody's still figuring figuring out what the hell they're doing so um,
0: yeah it's a, it's a challenge yeah. and i mean it's, it's not that clear cut i guess i mean there are there are two there are definitely two different camps in the world of of people working in this field and there's there's what i could kind of consider the, the collaborative group. You know, as you mentioned, you know, uh, there's a, yeah, a few of us here. Uh, yeah, the Australasian Conservation Dog Network, you know, is a good membership body down in this part of the world. You know, you've got Rose and you've got Working Dogs for Conservation and you've got, you know, uh, Working Dogs Collective and, and all of that lot in the US. And then you've got, you know, Louise and, you know, uh, all those guys in the you know, in the UK. And, and we all talk all the time. And we're very supportive, you know, of each other and and helpful and and so on. And then there's a lot of other people, yeah, you know, operating in this industry, that don't share information. They don't kind of try and help each other. They're they're very much trying to yeah erect barriers to entry. They're trying to protect their commercial position. You know, they may be selling you know off the shelf, ready made dogs, you know, and things like that, which I'm not a big fan of personally. You know, it has its place, but you know, it depends. It really comes back to the ethos of the of the people working, and unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this industry, like every other industry, who are trying to commercialise it too much. I think, Um, and that always leads to problems. So, I guess, I guess in Europe, I mean, that's where it's great having people like yourself there because we we need to make sure that Europe gets on the correct path. You know, the, like, Europe needs to work with the people that are knowledge sharing and that are, you know, doing those good things rather than those guys that just want to protect their little slice of the pie.
1: Yeah, uh, I just feel it's a little bit of a unfair competition, if we can call it that, between the people that want to share and the people that want to hog on everything and just make money out of it. Uh for me personally, it's very it's very difficult because the dogs pay the ultimate price, and you can see it. I, as I said, I come from a, a shelter background, so I do have the contacts and I do have the my fingers on those shelters, and I know the reality, and I know all those washed out dogs, and it's just painful.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's very hard, and I guess you know, in case there's anybody in this in that part of the world listening to this, I mean. Ultimately, you've got a lot of choices about who you work with. Um, and there are people out there that have been dog trainers, you know, all their lives, and then have recently moved into conservation. And then there's people out there, you know, with scientific ecological backgrounds that have, again, recently moved into, you know, working with dogs, you know, in the past few years or something like that. You know, and, and a lot of those dog guys do a great job. But then you compare that to somebody like yourself, who has over 10 years experience worked on a lot of different projects, different species, different landscapes, all those lessons learned, you've worked with some of the best people in the world. To me, it's a no brainer, you know, who, who people should work with, you know, and it doesn't mean that those other people shouldn't be worked with. It just means that they should be learning from you, you know, rather than the other way around, just because they've got a fancy piece of paper or something. You know, this, this industry to me is so much more about, that actual time in the field, that operational experience, that relationship with the dog, the the ability to read the dog, feel the dog, you know, and all of that sort of thing. So how do we get that message across? I mean, apart from this. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, my role and what I try to do is I offer my time for people to shadow me in the field. Uh, Mm -hmm. I definitely um, take a chunk out of my personal (laughs) comfort zone because I, if, well, all of us, if they get to choose, of course, we're going to go out alone with the dog and just cruise for the day and find a bunch of uh, samples and it's going to be awesome. But yeah, if you are trying to get the message out and you're trying to make a difference, I think you do have to put your time and your will to kind of share your knowledge and share whatever you learned good and bad, <laughs> not, I'm not, people that have come out with me, they know that I'll be probably being, going over all the things that could go wrong in the first couple of days, just to make sure that they know how dangerous this can be because the dog does pay the ultimate price if something happens. So, um, and then they get to the go the good stuff, but, um, yeah, uh, to, to make sure that people can, have access to whatever we do it's it's probably my my line of thought
0: so, so what are your tips then um and i'm putting you on the spot because i haven't given you time yeah. to prepare about this but but you know i asked the same question when i was talking to nikki glover who again has you know she's she's got a, a good experience, good name. She's, she's, she's developed her skills the right way from the get go, you know, and has worked with the right people. So she's now, you know, very much at the forefront, you know, of, of her area. Um, So what would be the tips you would give to somebody? So say there's somebody you know new to the industry. They, they've got not much background. Yeah. They might have a, a, a scientific background from university or something like that. They might've, they might have a pet dog, you know, so they're not completely unfamiliar what would be the most important things for them to do, would you say, and and think? And the way, not, not just do, but also think. Yeah, think about.
1: Uh, yeah, first, Nikki's awesome. Yeah, I love her job. I love her work um, and her dogs. And, yeah, so my advice would be first stay humble, uh, no matter what kind of PhDs or how many PhDs you have or whatever how high you are, uh, the dogs are going to tell you what to do. It's not going to be the other way around. So
0: Yeah, if you're a dick, your dog still thinks you're a dick.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The dog <laughs> don't care. So good, good luck with those papers. Although I'm not saying I do, I do agree with all the PhDs and all the important knowledge that is shared. I made part of that myself. But yeah, stay humble and take your time to learn. Uh, I see so much of, People, so many people trying to rush into this without taking their steps like their puppy steps. Just keep it simple, keep it slow, just go and learn and go out. There's back in when we started, we didn't have all of this connection, internet crazy craziness going in, going around. This world was not known. So now you do have the, the tools to reach out to scientists, reach out to people, the the good the very good um instructors that are out there the good just dog handlers that are out out there like uh just doing the field work go shadow them go take your time go have a beer with them just listen to some stories and yeah if they give you the opportunity spend as much time as you can Uh, that's kind of what i try to do and I do I did when I was just training and then even when I when I'm working every time I have the possibility I'll just go and hang out with people that are out in the field and I can learn from them so
0: yeah I think that's great advice um it, it leads me on to another question that I often get contacted by people yeah because because we run the training camps over here and so on you know i often get people looking for some sort of return on investment so they they they're funding me up saying you know like i want to do you know come and do some training with you and and when do you think i'll be able to go and do this for a full-time job so so you've been doing this for 10 years and if it's not too personal a question you know are you are you making a full-time living out of this do you do you do other work on the side how long did it take you to get to the point where you could actually live off conservation work
1: uh I was
0: and how many yachts do you have
1: oh uh so I was also very lucky like not only I got spotted by uh rogue detection teams I I always uh, kept in contact with them and they always supported me uh, no matter what. So I did get to start when I paired up with Zeus, I get to start to make contacts and just showing work and the word got out. So I I, I just lost myself. <laughs> Sorry. Um, can you repeat that?
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so so, so we're just talking about how you make a living out of this because a lot oh, of people yeah, right. in this a lot of people coming into the industry, like everyone has to make a living right and yeah, and you exactly. and you always try and manage their expectations because there's not actually that many people in the world that do make a full-time living out of conservation detection. so yeah. how do you uh,
1: so <laughs> I do it by being poor all the time <laughs> no, I'm kidding I, um
0: no, you're probably well, not.
1: I uh well pandemic hit so I wouldn't be if if pandemic wouldn't have happened but uh yeah so I started to make a living right away after my uh, three years training just because I got paired up with Zeus and it was a a very so in Europe we have something called life projects which is uh, uh, so the European Commission funds uh, conservation uh, projects and they normally do it in a very big scale. So it's kind of millions that goes to those projects. They're very difficult projects. They have lots, lots of paperwork. They're incredibly difficult to work at, but they do pay you for a year. So if I got, I got lucky enough that I got into that. So I was still learning and adapting to my first project, which was one year long. And yeah. And then as the word got out, I started to get more projects and I always made sure that I volunteered my time to go and have the meetings and show people that the dogs could work, that the dog was not going to be the problem. Um, So yeah, I started to make my living with that project and then just uh, the word got out and just contacts and then yeah pandemic hit <laughs> and then i i was lucky enough i was t- taking so when i lost dues i took a uh, vet nurse school just to make sure i was uh, a little bit more uh, understandable i could understand more of what was going on in the field with my dogs so um yeah i finished that while pandemic was going on and then i'm trying to get my back on my feet now yeah, let's see this year what happens oh, good luck
0: good luck with that so <laughs> thanks so dogs for nature is your is your business or your banner um so so, so what's so what's your vision for for that you know and yeah just, yeah, just tell us so, tell us all about that well why why you know why should it become really well known
1: well i'm the. Yeah, so I never, and everybody that knows me knows that I never wanted to have a, prog- a program for myself. I just wanted to be working under somebody else's. I I just like to do the, let's say, tiny job, like cleaning the kennels if needed. Like, mm-hmm. not in this case, because we don't have them in kennels, the kennels, but yeah, just do the field work. I never wanted the the meetings and the people problems. Uh, I'm not one of those I'm not that organized and I, I'm not that good in communication, communicating. So I never wanted that, but yeah, if I wanted to keep doing this job, this work and this lifestyle, I was kind of forced to kind of put something out there and started to be known, not only by contacts, but also in the internet and social media and also. Yeah, I got the help of family and friends and they put the website together for me and they, yeah, we just, uh, over some drinks, we came up with the name and the logo is still a thing that is working progress. It's just a very puppy, puppy project. It's not, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's amazing how many good things come together over a few drinks. Um, so, yeah. so, so you, so you've still got the relationship with rogue detection teams. I mean, as we speak, you're you're with Heath and Jennifer. you know, at the moment. Um, it's a yeah, lucky they downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> drinking probably. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I think they're still going from Pete's birthday aren't they but anyway um oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um so, so you've still got the relationship with them um I, i'm guessing that relationship is going to be continuing and and so on so you know i mean, how how's that relationship you know kind of helped you and how do you see that working in the future uh yeah well so the
1: the relationship it's it's great. I I help them every time I can. We do have the problem of um, I'm not a U.S. citizen, uh, so I can't officially work here. I'm just helping out. Yeah. Um. And they so the way it works is I help them and help they help me. Like they share everything they have on Europe, and I share my name and all the work I can do. And I come over and help when they they're tight on work. They're just over overwhelmed with work and kind of mm-hmm. maintain the dogs take care of whatever I can help with um so yeah i'll I'll hope that that continues has been going on since uh, forever so <laughs> yeah i I really hope it keeps going
0: No, oh, that's great that's awesome um we better wrap it up there I could keep on talking to you forever so we' definitely me too. Do... sorry <laughs> right. now we're definitely gonna do an- another thing in the future um sure. but look thank you for taking so much for taking the time to join me how how your people follow your work get in touch with you hire you in europe for all the interesting projects that are there
1: yeah that's a it, that's my achilles uh heel um yeah i well now they have the website that's for nature.org um i do have facebook but i'm awful at that Instagram the the dog has so Eta has her own uh Facebook page which should change for dogs for nature too soon but it's the poop finder as a joke and as a again a bunch of uh jokes that came out over drinks uh and yeah so my email uh my personal email for now and the email at the um, at the website they can reach out and yeah I'll try to I always try to answer and be as much active as I can, but it's it's difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is hard. And um, and talking to you, I'm kind of kind of going, yeah, you're you're one of the most experienced and doing the coolest projects. People that I've never heard of before this. So, uh, so so we just, so we definitely need to promote you a little bit more. I think
1: <laughs> if that gets me, it gets us all together to to grab some drinks, do some projects. That would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, there's a drinks theme coming together here. That's, uh, but I'm liking the sound of drinks and dogs. What more do you need? Oh, the horses to that. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Paradise. <laughs> 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 okay, Rita. Look, thank you very much for taking the time, and I'll uh, speak you. to you soon. Take care.
1: Perfect. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Conservation Canine Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you find us.